the book of Ezra chapter 9. Ezra in chapter number 9. You know, I made the statement a minute ago talking about a lot of people want to do stuff. A lot of times you want to do stuff. But there's certain things you can't do without a call. God puts a, a call on our life. I, I believe those things towards preaching, towards being a pastor. I believe those things towards Sunday school. I believe those things towards being an Awana commander. I believe those things toward being a leader. But I believe those things towards working in Fun Factory. I, I believe those things in working in, in He's Alive. I, I believe those things in which Sunday school class to go to. See, I believe everything is based on the call of the Lord. I believe that everything in our lives is guided and directed. That, that, little, that little inclining, that little thought inside, that's not just things we're coming up with. That's the stillness of the Holy Spirit. That's the goodness of the Holy Spirit talking to us and guiding us. That little, you, when, when they mention a ministry or something, you go, you know what, I think I want to do that, do that. You know what, I wouldn't mind doing that, do that. Because sometimes it falls within our personality traits, sometimes it doesn't. But one thing it always falls in is a nudging of the Holy Spirit to do those things. And, and the, the nudging of the Holy Spirit is from the very smallest thing to the first time you ever sign up to be in a ministry, to, to being a, a missionary, the call of God. Everything is about God's call on our lives. And the only way we really communicate with God is through prayer. Amen? Ezra chapter number 9, last week I made the statement, Lord willing... <laughs> That we would pick up at Nehemiah, we left off there at chapter 2 and verse 10. And that is what I want to do this morning. I want to pick up at Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 10. But I want to back up for a while so that we can understand a little more clearly about what's going on here in Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah, is anybody listening? Nehemiah is not the beginning of the story. Nehemiah is part of the process. Anybody with me? Nehemiah... Is part of a process. And now we left off. You don't have to turn back there. But we left off chapter 2 verse 10. Nehemiah is on his way to Jerusalem. Sambalot the Horonite. The, and, and Tobiah the servant of the Ammonite. <clears throat> he heard of it. And it says it greeted him exceedingly. There was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. And then he said so I came to Jerusalem. And was there three days. So years before Nehemiah came. Years before Nehemiah heard about the condition of Jerusalem and the reproach of the people, there was a prayer made. So I want to back up this morning, if we could, go back to Ezra chapter 9. We're going to read a text that we read last week, and I'll tell you why I know that in a minute. But Ezra chapter 9, verse number 3, Ezra said <clears throat> that when I heard this thing, understand that the thing he's talking about is the sins of the people. The reproach of the people. When I heard this thing, he's talking about not only the people, but the priest and the priest's sons. Everybody's involved in this sin. And that's what he's talking about. When I heard about the sins of the people, he said, I rent my garment and my mantle. I plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard. And I sat down. And there's a word right there that we need to talk about. That looks like astonide to me. Apparently, that's not correct. Huh? Astonied. You call it astonied? Apparently everybody else said astonied as well. It looks like astonied to me. I'll go ahead and give you two things about that word. Number one, I don't just go around using that every day on the streets. And you know why I don't go around using it? Because I have a clue what it meant. So that's why I had some information for you last week. One of the things I've learned used to, and the first couple of times I read through the Bible in a year, 
I wanted to read. And if I ran across the word, I didn't know what it was. It didn't matter. It couldn't get my way because I had my reading slot and I had to finish my Bible in a year, right? But as I went on, I wanted to know more. And now I actually look for words like that. I want to see words that I don't know what they mean. And they come very often in the Bible. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But those are the things that help me learn. So whether I can pronounce that word or not doesn't change the fact that it made me look up that word and know that this priest was devastated by the sins of the people. We're not devastated by sin anymore. We're not upset enough about sin anymore. I'm not talking about the sin of the people out there on the street. We ought to be heartbroken that they are lost and on their way to hell. I'm talking about sin in the house. We're not devastated by the garbage that's going on inside the church and by the stuff that some church want to make legal and allow sinful things to stand in the pulpit. We're no longer devastated by the sin that's going on in the house of God. But that's what he sees here. I was astonished. We're going to go with astonished so that everybody can feel good about that. And whether it's right or wrong, I can't prove either way. I can't tell you that my Bible app, when it reads it to me, it said astonished. And so that's what I use a lot of times. Fair enough. So it says that when they were assembled unto me, Everyone that trembled at the words of God of Israel because of the transgression of those that had been carried away. And I sat down and there's that word again, astonished. I was devastated until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice, I rose from my heaviness, having rent my garment, my mantle. I fell upon my knees. I spread out my hands unto the Lord. And I said, oh, my God. I'm ashamed and blushed to lift my face to thee, my God. For our iniquities have increased over our head. Our trespasses grown up into the heavens. Since, since the days of our fathers, have we been in great trespass unto this day? For our iniquities, we, we have, have we and our kings and, and, and our priests have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, and to a spoil, and to confusion of face as it is this day says now for a little space grace hath been shown from the lord our god to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us all a nail in this holy place that our god may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage for we were bondmen we were i once was lost but now i'm found i once was blinded in my sin but now i'm not i once was bound a prisoner of satan but i'm no longer bound they're in their, their bondage. We were bondmen, yet God hath not forsaken us in our bondage. But has extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving, to set up the house of our God, and to repair the desolations thereof, and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. <clears throat> I, I want to look this morning at preparatory prayer, dedicated work. Preparatory prayer, dedicated work. Both of those are 100% necessary if God's going to use us to accomplish anything. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord God, for the challenge of your word, for the, the promise of your word, for the forgiveness that's in your word. Thank you, God, that we can come as, as your people, God. Children of God, our sins forgiven, washed away children of the Lamb of God, gathered together as one family this morning. Lord, I pray, would you continue to move in our midst? I pray you'd take this and teach us something. God, help us, Lord. It is our heart's desire to serve you with everything that we have. Will you make us one? Unite us together as one. Strengthen us for the task that lies ahead, the things that you would have us to do, God. Teach us this morning, Lord. Above all things, may everything we do be pleasing to you. We love you, Father. We thank you and we praise you in the precious, sweet, holy name of Jesus. And all God's people said, 
Amen. So what we see in Ezra is what I said earlier, that Nehemiah doesn't begin with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is part of the, the process. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. You can go to 2 Kings chapter 24 and read about it. But Nebuchadnezzar tore down the walls. He burned the gates with fire. He carried the children of Israel off. That's why we have the situation that we have here. But we have it because God allowed it. Understand, God's people were overthrown. God's temple was burned down. God's city was destroyed. God's people were carried away captive because God allowed it. It was a promise fulfilled. If you continue to forsake my commandment, if you continue to live in sin and turn your back on me, I will scatter you among the nations. So it's not just like some worldly power overthrew God's people. God sent them there with the purpose to punish God's people. 539 B.C., the great Babylonian Empire, it fell to the Medes and the Persians. And Cyrus was king at the time. And during the first year of the reign of Cyrus, we learned that he sent Zerubbabel back. He issued a decree that allowed the Jews to begin their return to the homeland and to, to rebuild the temple. There are no happenstances in God's economy. There are no coincidences. There are no uh-ohs. There's nothing that catches God by surprise. And what we have in this story is all prophesied well in advance. Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 1. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Joash, king of Judah, who was in the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, that which Jeremiah the prophet spake unto all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, that is the three and 20th year of the word of the Lord had come unto me. I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye have not hearkened. If you look down at verse number 11, still Jeremiah chapter 25, this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. That's the same word that we've got back there in Ezra many years later. Matter of fact, over 200 years later, you, you have that astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon. So you understand it's no accident that Babylon is the one that came in and burned down the walls and did the things that they did. Shall serve them 70 years. It shall all come to pass when the 70 years are accomplished. That I will punish the king of Babylon. And that nation saith the Lord for their iniquity. And the land of the Chaldeans. And will make it perpetual desolation. So the king of Babylon at the time of the overthrow. Would have been Cyrus that came in. The, the king that he, that he that took over would have been Bel, Belshazzar. Bel, Belshazzar. I said Bel, Belshazzar. But he's the one that was executed. You want to read. I'm not going to spend time there. Daniel chapter 5. You can read about it. it too was prophesied. If y'all remember the story in the cave, the finger writing on the wall, many, many tekel, thy days have been numbered. That's a prophecy of everything that's going to happen to him right here. And we know that that king was, was killed as Jeremiah had, had prophesied earlier. But in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 10, God prophesied through Jeremiah. And he said, for thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. It's no accident that God's people are returning to the promised land. 
It's no coincidence that at this time, God's people are coming back to the destroyed town of Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 44. God used the prophet to call Cyrus by name. He said in verse number 28, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built into the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. That is the beginning of the prophesying of the Jews Returning to Jerusalem. Now, for some that may not know, I want to I wanna catch real quick. I know there's some new Christians maybe may not understand. You've got Nehemiah here, and you read way on over, and you get to, to Jeremiah, or you get to the prophet Isaiah. You get those things down here, and you're like, that doesn't fit. You need to understand the Bible is not given to us in a chronological order. We, we have the Pentateuch, we have the historical books, we have the major prophets and the minor prophets. We don't have things in a chronological order. Jeremiah was written 7th century B.C., 200 years before Nehemiah even comes on the scene. Isaiah, 8th century B.C., 300 years before Nehemiah even comes on the scene. So you understand that God is prophesying. He's talking about what we're reading about in Ezra and Nehemiah, 300 years earlier, 200 years early. You understand the patience of God, the long-suffering of God. He's telling them 300 years in advance. At any point in that time, had they turned away from their sin, God would have forgiven and forgotten all about it. But they never turned from their sin. So, so we, get, we get here, <coughs> Zerubbabel being the first return. That would have been 536 B.C., as we saw last week, uh, under Cyrus King. Then we have the next return. Would have been 80 years later by Ezra. That's around 455 BC. And, and then we get to, of course, Nehemiah. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year as I was in Shushan, the palace. There's a lot of little subtle things like that in the word of God. In the 20th year, is talking about the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king. That's how we have the timeline of the Bible. I was talking to somebody about it this week, and we laugh about it in here some on Wednesday night when we're all reading the Bible through in a year. Y'all still reading your Bible through in a year? And you come up on those lineages, and you're like, Really? I told you I tried reading them a couple times, so I read them all. So I say to read that I've written, I've written, I, I've read the Bible. I ain't never written it, but I, 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 I've read the Bible all the way through. But now when I come to those, I know I'm not going to remember them past getting up and getting out of my chair anyway. So I kind of skim. But that's just very important. Little things like 20th year of Artaxerxes is very important because it makes it fit a 300 year old promise. It makes everything fit. So everything there, there, there are no wasted motions in the Word of God. Everything is there for a reason. Everything has a purpose, whether we understand it at a time or not. But I promise you this. If you learn something every day for the rest of your life, you won't begin to scratch the surface of the wisdom of that book. We'll never even begin. The more you learn, the more we know how much we don't know. So Harold, Harold Wilmington, I, I put this in your notes for you. Harold, Dr. Harold Wilmington's got a really big book. We use it for a college guideline. It's Harold Wilmington's Guide to the Bible. But, but he gave this under Zerubbabel, Ezra chapter 1 through 6. As they returned into the nation, he said, The king proclaiming, the people reclaiming, but you always got to throw the enemy in. The devil defaming, but the Lord sustaining. God will always sustain us if we'll just follow his word. In chapter 7 through 10 of Ezra, he said we have cooperation from the king. Then we have preparation for the trip. We have this supplication, which is prayer, supplication by the scribe. And we have the purification of the people. Ezra is a scribe and a priest. He is assigned to the temple. But their number one job 
is the purification of the people. He is a remnant of, of Hilkiah, the, the high priest, and his number one job is purification of the people. Nehemiah is a builder. He's more of a political figure. His number one job is the rebuilding of the walls for the retention, the protection of the people. God sent different people at different times to accomplish different things for one goal. So here's why I'm backing up to take a look this morning. Nehemiah is not just this one-stop shop here in the middle of the word of God to tell us about the building of the walls. It's all part of a plan. We looked at Jonah about three weeks ago. And it's just like I said, Jonah's not about the whale. It is about God's never-ending mercy. Well, it's the same here with Nehemiah. Nehemiah is not about the wall. It's about the people in God's relationship. It's about the people and their desire. It's about the people and their relationship with God. Jerusalem being destroyed, the Jews being scattered, that's all a, a fulfillment of a promise. If you continue to forsake my commandments. But the return is also a fulfillment of a promise after a season. God said, I will restore them. So, so there's, no, there's no accidents. There wasn't an accident when, when Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. There wasn't an accident when Tobiah and, and Sambalot come. There were no accidents back in 2020. COVID's not an accident. You think that stuff caught God off guard? You think God was surprised by any of that? You think before the foundations of the world, God couldn't look ahead. Because if you do, you don't understand God. Not, nothing happened outside of God's allowing. Now, if God allowed the entire nation of Israel and all of Jerusalem, the promised land, his promised city to be turned, uh, to be burned down, walls burned with fire and everything destroyed. And if God allowed that, we ought to take it. Pretty gracefully and thankfully that all God gave us was a little something like COVID. If he wiped the U.S. off the map right now, he'd be right. The sin, the perversion, the garbage that's going on in this country, open sin. And if that's not bad enough, a political regime that, that approves of sin, that okays it. And a television network that the only thing on it worth watching was football. And Spectrum took that away from us with ESPN. So get rid of your television sets. I didn't even get to watch that game last night. Right now, I'm glad I didn't. Sorry, guys. That was awful. Well, except you Texas fans. It, we, we live in a country, huh? Well, I had to throw them in, brother. I mean, somebody's got to like them. Just because you don't. Man, that went the Holy Spirit right out of here. See, if I just stick with the stuff, my mind, that scatterbrain. I was doing so good. See how COVID just threw that wrinkle in there? Still, still causing problems. Still causing problems. It just keeps showing up. So, so reality is, is thing, things like Judgment Journey and programs, and even he's alive for that year, but th things being brought to a halt for a season, things coming to stop, none, none of that is, is an accident. God knew that all that was coming. And, and here, here, I need you to hear this. God knows tomorrow. God is the only one who knows what he wants us to do tomorrow. God is the only one who understands the fullness of his plan for our life, not just today, but in the times to come. God's the only one that has the answer. What we need to make sure that we get right is what does God want now? 
What, what does God want, want us to do? Listen, <clears throat> sorry, somebody, somebody's going to get bent out of shape, and that's okay. You've got every right to do so. One of us is going to. We don't need people to show up next September. I want my part. I want to be in judgment journey. I want to bring all your problems and all your garbage back, and I ain't seen you in church for a year. Sorry. This ain't about a show. This is about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is about reaching a lost and dying world. This is about going to war against hell. I don't need you to show up once a year and sign up. I want my part. I'll plug in. Your part don't exist anyway because it's a whole new trail if we do it. So there ain't no coming back and going through my old lines and remembering stuff. What we need is people that right now, right now are dedicated. God, what do you want me to do? Right now. What do you want us to do next week? What do you want us to do in next year? What do you want us to do in next October? And if God says do a judgment journey, then be committed from this day forward to work and be what God wants us to be. We need to know what does God want now? I am very thankful for this church. I'm very thankful for this group of people. In all honesty, I truly believe that this is probably the most spiritual group of people as a whole that I think I've ever been around. The most dedicated to pray, the most dedicated to serve. I'm not saying it's the biggest group of people I've been around. I'm not saying it's the biggest group of people I've been around that was serving. But I truly feel like it's probably the most dedicated group of prayer warriors that, 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 I've, that I've been around. See, that, that's why I want you to walk the trail. That's why I want you to pray. That's why I want you to seek God's will. Because I want God to tell you what he wants. I don't want God to tell me and the staff, yes. And we have to come in here and drop some astronomical dollar figures on you. And tell you what we believe God's leading us to do. And then try to excite you and get you on board. I don't want us to pray and God tell us no. And I have to come in here and explain to you why I don't believe this at the time. If God shows you, anybody ready? If God shows you, all we got to do is just get together and do it. Whatever the answer, whatever the way, it makes no difference to me. If it's judgment journey, praise God. Let's get busy. Let's get some money raised. Let's get to work. Let's do some stuff. If it's not judgment journey, awesome. Amazing. Thank you, God. What is it? That's all I want to know. What do you want to use us to do? See, a, a praying people is a prepared people. Listen to me. It don't matter if it's judgment journey or not. A praying people is a prepared people. And a prepared people is a used people. God will not take anyone who is praying preparatory prayer and not give them a dedicated work. God will always call us into a work. So what we see from the study here of the word of God is that Nehemiah is not, not just some coincidence. Nehemiah is a planned, fulfilled event right here in the middle of the Bible. But it doesn't change the fact that Nehemiah still had to seek some things. Nehemiah still had to, to seek. He had to be willing to seek and to hear and to do the will of God. If you're not seeking the will of God, you're not likely to learn the will of God. If you're not listening for the will of God, you're not likely to hear the will of God. And if we can't hear the will of God, then we're not likely to do the will of God. Nehemiah had to be dedicated to prayer. 
He had to be dedicated to fasting. He had to be committed to, to waiting on God to open the door to walk in and talk to that king. He had to, to wait on some things. And we, we read last week how when he went in and the king said, why are you sad? And he said, well, well I, I was afraid. And, and the king wanted to know, well, what is it that you want? And anybody still with me? If you with me, say amen. That sounds like most of you. Anybody didn't say amen, wake them up. So, so Nehemiah knew about the condition of the people. Nehemiah knew about the condition of the walls and the gates. Nehemiah knew that he'd been praying for a chance to talk to the king. But what Nehemiah didn't know is that Ezra's been praying for years for such a time as this. Ezra's been praying for God to send a man. See, Nehemiah is not some cosmic accident that just happened to show up and just happened to be the one to come and, and rebuild the walls right here in the middle of the word of God. He is a planned centerpiece in the middle of the will of God. And so are you. You are Nehemiah of your day. You are God's peace for right now. We are God's peace. We have been put here by God for such a time as this. So whatever God wants us to do, we just need to seek God's will. And that's all we need to know. My desire don't matter. Our desire don't matter. Our will don't matter. What we want to do, listen, what we want to do only matters when we have sought the will of God and what we want to do has been driven by the hand of God. When we have sought the face of God, and the voice of God has spoken and given us the commandments of God. And now we're all on one page because the, the Holy Spirit gives us all one instruction. Now we're ready to do something. See, God is preparing us, I believe. At least it's my prayer. God, prepare us for whatever it is that you want us to do. But use us for your glory. Use us for the building of the kingdom. Use us to reach our Jerusalem and our Judea and our Samaria and to send others into the uttermost parts of the earth that they may carry the gospel of Jesus Christ around the world. But God, by all means, just use us. Ezra's been praying for 10 years before Nehemiah's even mentioned. I wonder how many prayers have been prayed on our behalf that we never even knew about. How many saints of old have prayed for revival in America before we ever even got to the mess that we're in? How many people have cried out to God before we ever even came on the scene? Ezra wasn't praying for Nehemiah. He's praying for God's will to be accomplished. He was praying for, for God's hand to come in and for God's people to be strengthened and the city to be rebuilt. He, indirectly, he was praying for Nehemiah. But he didn't know that. God knew that. He was just praying for the will of God. There are people right now who have been praying for years for their family members to be saved. There are people who have been praying for years for friends and co-workers and neighbors to be saved. They have been praying for years that, that God would move on this community and send a revival into our town. There are people that have been praying for years for, for God's mighty hand to move right here in our area. They didn't know it, but they've been praying for God to prepare people. And I believe it's us. I don't believe it's just us. I just believe we're part of it. I just believe God's looking to do something great as a fulfillment to prayer. <clears throat> Last week, I asked for a minimum of five people to come down. I needed a prayer team for Judgment Journey. 
And where I figured if I had five people, that gives us five hours scattered throughout the day. There's somebody praying. I said, I need at least five people. We have 22 people on that team right now. <clears throat> Some of them are couples that are praying together. So it doesn't cover the entire day. What it covers is from 5 a.m. in the morning till midnight. There's a couple of spots left open. Then there's a 2.30 a.m. and a 4.30 a.m. that people are getting up and praying. God bless you. So here's reality. Since we're that close, I'll just plug this in. Dana, where you at? She's in the prayer warrior room. So Dana don't know if she's in the prayer warrior room. If somebody catches her before she gets out, you can see her right after the service. If there's any more that want to join that team, those few little spots. Here, here, here's what I ask. <clears throat> when I ask it for five hours, well, now we got, got it for, for several hours. I want somebody to pray at every hour. Like if you've got 2 p.m., put a reminder in your phone to buzz it at 1.59 to remind you to pray. I'm not saying pray from 2 to 3. I'm not saying stop everything you're doing. Just at 2 o'clock, if that's your time, just stop and pray for judgment journey. That God would give us his direction. What do you want? That, that's all I want to know. We're not praying for judgment journey. We're not praying for power on it. If that's what God wants us to do, we'll pray that. What I want right now is answers on God's people. I want to know when we move forward that it's in God's will. So if we had a few more people sign up and we covered the whole 24 hours, there's 1,008 hours roughly left between now and when we're going to vote. That's 1,008 prayers. I think that'd be pretty, a pretty positive sign. Seeking some, some, some direction from God. So here's, here's the plan. I'll tell you again. I hope everybody will come. We're going to eat some hamburgers, hot dogs. We're going to have a good time, a little bit of fellowship. We're going to watch some films. We'll have a screen down there, look at some old things and some time. But we're going we're gonna to hand you a vision. And it's quite sizable. And it's extremely expensive. But we're going to hand you a vision because I want you to know what you're praying for. Right now we're praying for direction. And we hand you a vision. We'll hand it to you on the 15th. And we're going to leave for seven days. And we're going to pray on that trail before we leave. We're going to pray for seven days. On the 22nd, we're going to vote. And I'm going to ask God to show his people and God to show us in one accord, 100%. What do you want us to do? Imagine if we had 1,008 hours with 1,008 prayers between now and then. See, here, here, here's, here's what I know. Everything is about prayer. Everything is about Prayer. Where there is no prayer, there is no power. There is no instruction. There is no communication. There is no guidance. There is no fulfillment. There is no protection. Where there is no prayer, there's no relationship. In our Costa Rica missions team, we met last week, all throughout the day, morning, noon, and night, people from that mission team are praying that God's will be accomplished in Costa Rica, in, in another place, not just in LaGrange, but that God would do something there. The disciples from He's Alive, and which, by the way, y'all know just because if we do Judgment Journey, they don't have nothing to do with He's Alive or any of the other ministries. That just means we've got to add some work. The, the disciples from the play and kind of taking a stem from man church. Come tonight if you haven't been. Let it get the last night and you'll have a hunger for five weeks when we start back. But, but man church is about being disciples for Christ. It's taking this word Christian and putting it to the side because it really doesn't mean anything. And it's not used very much. And people say I'm a Christian all the time. But their lifestyle looks like the devil's brother. But if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you've got to live the part. And, and the Bible talks about disciples all through. So the guys that are the disciples and he's alive, they're starting a prayer group from now until we do who's alive again. 
So, so from now until he's alive, they're, they're going to be praying as a group. And, and I don't know if they'll divide up every hour of the day. But, but prayer going forward is how God blesses the work. I believe, I believe that God is, is dealing with somebody's heart to restart the Sunday morning rock altar. I've mentioned it two or three times with no avail. Nobody really shows up. But we, there would be a group of men that met down here every Sunday morning early and prayed for these services. And I believe with all my heart, if somebody was willing to be that person, and you got to understand, if you're that person, if you're there by yourself, you better be there by yourself. If other people come okay, if they don't okay, if God gives you a, a, a go-ahead to do something, it's up to you to make sure it happens. But maybe 9 o'clock, if a group of men gather and pray, can you imagine the difference it would make in our services? I was thinking about something a couple weeks ago after I mentioned it a, a couple times, and somebody else said something about it. I remembered something. I just need to leave that alone. That's not mine. I've, I've been a, a member of the Rock Altar prayer meeting for years and, until, it, until it stopped meeting every Sunday morning. And, and I told staff today, you know, the, the one person that I've never seen at the Rock Altar? It's the pastor of this church. It was always the men of the church. It's men of the church that wanted to gather. It wasn't headed by the pastor. It wasn't headed by the staff. It was just a group of men. That wanted to gather and pray for the pastor, for the message, for the stuff. So I realized I'm going to leave it alone. If God wants it down there, y'all men, you know where the rock altar's at. You know where Sunday morning comes. And you know the power of the possibility of prayer. So I'll just leave that one there. I just, I just feel like God is doing something among us. Not just the women, not just the men. Although I believe he's working within, within both. But Ezra said, I have gathered everyone that trembled at the word of God. I fell upon my knees. I spread out my hands unto the Lord. He said, for many years our sins and our iniquities have increased. Since the days of our fathers, we've been in great trespass. And we still are today. He says, for that reason, we've been taken into captivity for a little space. He says, but even still, by God's grace, there is a remnant of God's people to give us a nail, a permanent pen, a fixed position which cannot be moved, that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage. God always has a remnant. God always has a people. And God always uses people. Nehemiah prayed for an opportunity, and we know that he, that he prayed for that great length of time while he waited, but what he didn't know is that for years prior to that, Ezra had been praying for that moment. The, the highway of prayer had been paid before he got on it. He just got on it and let God usher him into the presence of the king. And God is the one that, that prepared this so that when he came to the king and, and he was scared, and the king said, Why, you know, what is you want? He said, hey, here's what I want. And the king said, okay, how long are you going to be gone? He said, well, look here, I'm going to need some more stuff. See how the boldness keeps right in? Now, I, I'm going to need some letters from you to establish things as I cross over the rivers and go into the lands. I'm going to need some authority. And by the way, I'm, I'm going to need some trees. If you've never studied about Jerusalem and the region, if you've never studied about what goes on over there, trees are a precious commodity. The reason you got the cedars of Lebanon and those things that are brought in, there weren't many trees in, in, in that region. It's more of a desert wasteland almost, if you will, that trees are a very precious commodity. He said, I'm going to need enough trees to make enough lumber to rebuild the walls around the city and to rebuild all the gates. I'm going to need all that. And the king says, you got it. 
And then I don't see him ask for the captains of the army, but he sent them anyway. I don't see him asking for a cavalry of the army to go ahead and protect us and be with us, but he sent it anyway. See, the king gave him everything that he needed and then some. But we left off. We left off at chapter 2 and verse 10 where the enemy shows up. Verse number 9, I came to the governors beyond the river, gave them the king's letters. The king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So, so here, here's what I want to see in, in closing as we, we prepare to pray. Ninety years earlier, right here in Ezra chapter 3, verse 1, when the 70th month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. That's important. That's important, y'all. Gathered themselves together as one man. If we are one body, washed in one blood, saved by one grace, name written in one book, called to serve one God, then we are to be in one accord. We are to pray in one accord. We are to work in one accord. They came together as one. It says, Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, and his brethren, and built the altar of the God of Israel to, to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it's written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Verse number three, they set up the altar upon its bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries, and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. Zerubbabel and the people prayed together as one man. Eighty years later, the scribe is praying for God to extend his mercy. He uses the word reviving. Give us a reviving. Set up the house of God. Repair the desolations and give us a wall around Jerusalem and Judea. Everything in the story is about prayer. It's not about the wall. It's not about the work. It's about prayer and it's about people. More than 10 years later, we see the answer show up to a prayer that began 90 years ago. And, and Nehemiah is on his way to Jerusalem when the enemy shows up. We can sit here and make this all about us, all we want to, and not bother the devil one bit. We can sit here and make sure the temperature's right in the building, the seats are comfortable, the music is right, and we're all happy and everything's printed the way we want it and done the way we like it and the lights are just like we like it. And we make this all about us and the devil's perfectly fine with that. It doesn't bother him a bit for us to come in here and pat ourselves on the back and be proud of ourselves and happy about what we're doing as long as it pleases us. That, that's, not, that's not what gets in the devil's crawl. See, when we set out to be a people of prayer, to be prepared by God, to be used by God. Expect opposition. You won't be surprised when it comes. When you set out to be a people of prayer. When you set out to be a tool. A tool in the mighty hand of God. Y'all remember the message on the toolbox? Anybody want to be a tool in the hand of God? We're all different parts. Different sockets. Different wrenches. Different, right? If we want to be used by God. See, the devil does not fear you and I. The devil fears what God can do. Through you and I. You know why? He's seen it too many times before. And he hates it. He's seen what God will do through a surrendered people. 
too many times before. He's seen how many nations can be saved through a people committed to prayer to turn away from sin. And he absolutely hates it. See, the devil, the devil ain't going to mind stirring up lies on you. He ain't going to mind stirring up rumors and kicking up lies, whether they're something new or something from the past. He ain't going to mind stirring up lies on you. He's going to do everything he can to sow discord right here in this circle. Discord is number seven. That's the one thing that is an abomination of the seven. Six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven is an abomination. He that soweth discord among the brethren. The devil will try to do things to, to, to tear the, the group up. Anything that he can do to, to discourage us. Anything that he can do to, to dishearten us. Anything that he can do to, to cause us to doubt or cause us to fear. Which, by the way, faith and fear can't live in the same roof. We've got one of the two. Faith and fear can't, can't cohabitate. I, I, I want to I I give you something. I want to make sure you hear it and I'm done. I want us to be used by God to declare victory for the kingdom of God. I want to declare victory over our county and our region and our area. I want to see God do a mighty move and see tens of thousands saved. Y'all didn't hear me. I don't want to see 300 saved. God's bigger than that. If he can save me, he can save millions easily. I want to see God do something in our community and see tens of thousands of people around our whole region saved and used for the glory of God. But, but to declare victory for the kingdom of God is declare war on hell. Don't start something and then cease to pray. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Anybody hear me? Don't start something. And then cease to pray. This isn't a game. This is called spiritual warfare. This is trying to claim souls from the same hell that we were headed to. Tell them about the same Jesus that saved us. How their sins washed in the same blood that washed ours. That they might go to the same heaven we're going to. This is spiritual warfare. God's got something planned. I want God to show us what it is. Verse number 12, it says that Nehemiah goes out and he, he views the walls. I know some of you have had an opportunity to, to go view the trail. I don't know why that's important to me. God made that important to me for you to go view the trail. Whether we do it or not, it doesn't matter. Whether it's God wants to give you a blessing and... Now, has anybody, has anybody walked, I'm just, has anybody walked down there yet and felt the power of God when you walked down there? That's what I want to know. See, there they ain't no doubt God's done a lot of amazing work and, and he has blessed that land. And, and I, I don't have no doubt that the power of God still rested on this campus, including that. And that's going to be our job to clean it up, whether we do Judgment Journey or not. We've let that become a mess. That's ours to clean up, whether we do, I mean... If God gives you stuff and you don't take care of it, he has no reason to give you anything else. And, and just because we ain't done judgment journey, we've not taken good care of that. So I just want you to go down there. I want you to see it and, and I want you to pray. And as I said before, it doesn't matter if you've never seen judgment journey. It doesn't matter. Go see the buildings. Go see the stuff. I promise you God will move down there for you. 
You'll feel some things. But if nothing else, when you walk it, just pray for direction. God, what is, what is your direction? Right now, I'm praying for a direction for specific October. We already set the dates on the calendar just in case if it's a go so that we know what it is. We're specifically October 2024. What is the answer? That's all we want to know. Does anybody want to be used by God? I, I need to know. We, we, anybody want to be used by God? I, we don't have to wait until October 2024. God can use us today at the gas station on the way home. I get that. God can use us in our workplace. God uses every single day of our life. But together, corporately as a group, if Jesus tarried and he hasn't come by October 24, what are we going to be doing? So I just, I just want you guys to, to go view it and, and pray while you're there and make sure that you've got Sunday, October 15th, 6 p.m. on your calendar so that we can all be down there and pray. It's going to be a great night. Just because we're coming together as a people to pray, it's going to be a great night. Amen? Man, you guys come on up. I, I want to ask you guys if you would just stand. I don't. I don't feel like. I don't even know how to put it. I guess it's like, what is the urgency now? It's September of 23. Why are you so worried about October of 24? Well, one, because if God wants us to do that, it's going to take from now to then to do what we got to do. But number two, because I can't forget what God told me. You're not prepared as a people, and you've done nothing to make anything different. You've done nothing for this people right here to prepare themselves for that work. If we don't do it, I don't care. I promise you that. If God says don't, I'm fine with that. But I don't want it to be because I haven't done everything we can as a group of people to have prayed and prepared. Because I promise you this. If it's not that, we can't wait to see what it is. God's not a one simplistic minded God. There's no telling what he's got planned. I know if it's that, he has some amazing things planned. But what I want is to see this group of people. It's not, it's not what I want. I believe it's what we want. Is this group of people to pray together. To pray forward. To pray that God would use us. We got holiday seasons coming up. We're going to be around families all over at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Those family members that need to be saved. The more we pray now. Even, even if we're praying ahead for answers. The more we pray. The more time we spend with God. The more power of God we have on our life. And the more when you walk into a room full of darkness, the darkness has to flee because lightness can't, light came in. Darkness cannot stay in the presence of light. If you want a building to not be dark, turn the light on. If the light's on, darkness has got to get out. Well, if we're going to be a light, and if we're praying and our light is brighter, when we walk into rooms, darkness has got to shut its lying mouth, stop all the cursing, stop the filthy jokes, because when light comes into the house, darkness has got to get out. And the more we pray together, the brighter the light will be. Anybody want to be a bright light? Regardless of what God wants us to do in October, do we want to be a bright light now? Whatever God wants us to do in October, do we want to be a bright light then? I want to ask you guys, if you would, again, if you just come pray, you're welcome to pray where you are. Love to see you just fill the altars. God, give us direction.
Give us vision. Give us wisdom. Give us a passion for the lost. Give us a broken heart for the hurting. Make us care about people the way you care about people. Help us to hate sin the way you hate sin, but love the sinner the way you love the sinner. That's where our compassion has to come from. Sin has to be appalling to us. We have to be devastated at the condition of sin, but we have to love the sinner of such for some of you. I want to ask you guys to you bow your heads where you are. I wonder if there's anybody you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You're still lost. You've heard of Jesus. Maybe you've heard of Jesus. Maybe you've heard of salvation. Maybe you've refused the offer before. Maybe you've never heard the gospel. It doesn't make any difference. Now is the time. Father, I am a sinner for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. But every sinner can come before God in the name of Jesus Christ and ask for salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ and be saved. So if you've never been saved, are you willing to ask him this morning, Father, I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to come into my heart. Forgive me of my sin. Save my soul, God. I just want to be a child of God. I just want my soul saved. If you're faithful to confess.